My name is Tom Clendon and this podcast is trying to help you understand how ISA 12, Income Tax, Deferred Taxes, interacts with other accounting standards, specifically in respect of revaluing assets, uh, PPE perhaps, and leases. This is not a beginner's podcast on deferred tax. I'm trying to get into some detail around the application. So let's first of all have a look at how deferred tax works when we revalue an asset under ISA 16 PPE. And it might help if I make up a very simple numerical example. So we've got some land and it cost us 100 and we're accounting for it as PPE. Now we have an accounting policy choice that we choose to revalue that property to 120. So therefore there's a gain of 20 knocking around and we're told there's a tax rate of 20%. So let's talk about the accounting consequences and the accounting treatment and maybe a critique as well of what's happening there. Well, first of all, there's an accounting gain of 20. And assuming the asset hasn't been previously revalued, that gain of 20 goes directly to reserves, is reported in other comprehensive income for the year. Now, from a deferred tax point of view, that represents clearly an accounting gain and therefore is a taxable temporary difference and therefore creates a deferred tax liability. Those three words go together. Accounting gains will give you taxable temporary differences which create deferred tax liabilities. So the four, the 20% of the 20, the four is a deferred tax liability. If it had been an accounting loss, then I would have talked about deductible temporary differences and I would be talking about a deferred tax asset of four. So just to recap what is going on here, the carrying value of the asset goes to 120. There is no current assessment to pay tax. It's a paper revaluation gain. So the taxman does not require us to pay any money out. After all, we haven't had any money in. So there's no current tax assessed. And so the tax base remains at 100. So we've got a temporary difference between the carrying value of the asset of 120, its tax base of 100, and therefore we've got a taxable temporary difference of 20. And with a tax rate of 20%, this gives us a deferred tax liability of four. Now, hang on a minute. We've recognized the gain in equity, the 20 in equity, and so when I'm recognising the deferred tax liability of four as a credit, I want to put my tax expense also in equity. The reason we account for deferred tax is to match. If I've recognised an accounting gain on which no current tax is assessed, I've deferred the payment of tax. And so that extra four is paired with the 20. So we have a post-tax gain in our other comprehensive income of 16. 
The balance on the reserve in the first year is 16. The extra amount of the gain going to equity is 16, post-tax. Now, the four, the deferred tax liability, is a non-current liability. And the standard specifically requires this is not discounted. And I always find that slightly curious because it's going to be payable in the future. So if it's not discounted, it's therefore overstating the liability. And there's a practical reason as to why deferred tax liabilities are not discounted. And that's to do with the fact that we don't know when they're going to be paid. We don't know whether to discount in two years time or five years time. Because the liability to pay the tax on the revaluation of the property will only occur when the property is eventually sold. And we don't know when that is going to be. We have no present obligation to sell the property. And therefore, we have no present obligation to pay the tax. And actually, if you buy that argument, which I think I do, there's then a flaw. There's then a conflict between the conceptual framework's definition of a liability, a present obligation, and the requirement of ISA 12 to recognise a deferred tax liability on a revaluation. So I've suddenly got a little bit heavy there, haven't I? Yeah, as we've gone through that example. So you've got to be a little bit careful in the exam that you always answer the question that is being set. Look at the number of marks available. But there are some conceptual criticisms of ISA 12 that you can make that they overstate deferred tax liabilities. And they're not even a deferred tax. The deferred tax is not even a liability. So that's one example. Let me give you a second heavy example. And you can listen to this podcast again. Yeah. And this second example revolves around leases. Now, under IFRS 16, if you are a lessee, what you will normally do is to recognise both an asset and a liability when you enter into a lease. Even though you haven't got legal title, you are responsible for showing substance, showing the truth, showing the economic reality. You have a right to use the asset, you control it, so you should recognise that in the accounts, and equally you should recognise the obligation to make those lease rentals, even though you haven't got legal title. I'm really comfortable with IFRS 16. I think it's a great standard. Yeah, big improvement in financial reporting. But how does this relate to deferred tax? Well, it relates to deferred tax because the taxman doesn't have any imagination. The taxman deals with legislation and will not think of the lease as a right of use asset, will not understand the existence of the asset or the liability. They will take and the tax base, therefore, of those items will be nil. The taxman will give relief, tax relief, on the actual rentals that the lessee pays. So here we are recognising a right of use asset with a tax base of nil and recognising an obligation with a tax base of nil. Now, 
those assets and those liabilities naturally change over the period of the lease. The asset depreciates, so it becomes smaller, and the obligation under the uh, the obligation to make the lease rentals goes up and down. I mean, it goes up with the finance cost, the unwinding of the discount, and it goes down with the cash that's paid. And that means after the first year, the carrying value of the asset is going to be different from the carrying value of the obligation. It just is. And I haven't got the mental capacity and it's not the right format to start playing with numbers here. Now, in terms of the right of use asset, we know that that's got a tax base that is nil. So it's got a carrying value. We know the tax base is nil. And therefore, that is throwing up a taxable temporary difference and a deferred tax liability. On the other hand, the yin and the yang, on the other hand, the obligation also has a nil tax base. But because it's a liability, the temporary difference is deductible. And you've got a deferred tax asset. So the deferred tax comp the deferred tax consequences means that you look at the net, look at the net of the deferred tax liability on the right of use asset against the deferred tax asset on the obligation. And the difference can then be regarded as the net deferred tax situation. Could be an asset, could be a liability. Take that at 20%, whatever the rate is. Wow. Yeah. SBR. It's not necessarily about one accounting standard in one question. It's not necessarily about regurgitating definitions. It's about application. It's about explaining. You have the ability to listen to this podcast again. I appreciate the first time you hear this. Yeah, it, it can be quite fast. It can be quite mind blowing. I want you, though, to understand this is an advanced aspect of deferred tax. I've got another podcast out there which explains deferred tax from the beginning. All right. If you want further help, if you want to pass SBR, if you want me to mark your work, give you a pass assurance, help you understand how to pass SBR, get in touch with me, please. My name is Tom Clendon. My WhatsApp number 07725350793. But you can find me on the web absolutely easily. No problem at all. Thank you very much for listening.